When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Online, on DAB and on the talk radio app. Talk Radio. Uh, Let's talk to the business secretary, Alex Sharma. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Lots to talk about this morning. Let's talk first about the vaccine rollout. Lots of question marks about when we're all going to actually get this vaccine, crucially, when we're going to make sure the people who really need it, uh, those working on the front line and those over 70 years old. Do we actually have any dates now for, first of all, when the first vaccine will be given and by when we will actually realistically see everybody who needs the vaccine getting it? Yes. So, Julia, in terms of the when the first vaccines will be, be deployed, uh, that will, of course, be next week, which is what we've said previously. What day uh, next week? Well, uh, uh, Julia, I can't give you a, a day next week. Uh, we want to make sure that we get this absolutely right. Uh, as you know, this particular uh, vaccine has to be stored at uh, minus 70 degrees. Uh, there are issues we want to make sure that are dealt with properly. Uh, but we've always said, that uh, we will start the deployment next week and uh, I'm absolutely confident that that's what will happen. Uh, And then the issue of who actually gets this first, uh, you are absolutely right, Uh, you're absolutely right uh, that we need to make sure that the most uh, vulnerable get this first, Um, those who are most at risk of ending up hospitalised or indeed uh, very sadly dying from uh, this uh, particular uh, infection. And the the Joint Committee on Vaccinations and Immunisations has set out very clearly a prioritization list. Uh, and on the top of that are our residents in care homes or um, you know, older adults and their carers. Then we have people who are 80 years uh, uh, above. But we know, or, we know all that. The question is when it's, when it's all actually going to happen. I and mean, we understand that the, the cold chain logistics issue is, is, a, is a massive problem, but we're hoping, of course, the Oxford-AstraZeneca 
Astrazeneca vaccine also gets rolled out and, and other ones as well. But but the key thing is we've been given so many different dates. Oh, we'll start, we'll start Monday. We'll start next week. We'll start in the new year. We'll get everyone everyone vaccinated, a million people a week. Then it'll be oh, not till the end of the next year. Then it'll be Easter. We're constantly given lots of different dates. Surely the government knows when it's going to get these vaccines. You know you've got you know, a, a, a 20 million or whatever ordered for any particular kind. You must know when you're going to get them and how quickly you can you can roll them out. The logistics of rolling them out, surely you already know. Well, Julia, uh, you know, uh, we have had so many people in uh, the, the health service, we have people who are scientists and our regulators who worked incredibly hard to get us to this point. And I actually think, you know, we should be really proud of that. Yeah, the, the, there are the, the fact that we have got vaccines, the fact that we as a country have secured almost 360 million vaccines. No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That that is brilliant. But but you will understand, I know, that this is a complex issue. Uh, I know that uh, listeners will also understand that this is something that is being done at great pace. The key thing is that we will start this next week. There will will be 800,000 doses available. Uh, And, of course, this has now got approval from the MHRA. Uh, This is uh, safe uh, uh, to deploy. Uh, And that's been... OK, again, let's come come back to what I'm actually asking. OK, quite a few months ago, we knew that there was a possibility that vaccines could come forward. Now, whether they were going to come forward in December, next Easter or whatever, you at some point were going to have to roll them all out. And it was imperative to start rolling them out as quickly as possible. Surely someone, tell me, one of these very highly paid management consultants that you seem to insist on paying our taxpayers' money towards, surely someone has sat down and gone, how many people can we vaccinate every single day? What do we need to do to roll that out? Because the cost of not rolling out that vaccine quickly is so much greater than any cost of employing people or you know, getting the army out. Surely, surely you've had a team of people working it out with the logistics, knowing where the vaccine centres would be. Please tell me, for the love of God, that the government has got those preparations signed, sealed and delivered in black and white, ready to roll out. So, Julia, of course, there's been a lot of preparation that's... that's is that a yes uh, or a no? Uh, yes, uh, as I said, there's a lot of preparation that's been taking place. But of course, we need to get the vaccine doses first. Uh, this is a complex manufacturing process in terms of Pfizer-BioNTech. You talked about the AstraZeneca. You know, I, It's great. We've got 100 million of those on order. But the point is that with AstraZeneca, um, it is uh, for review with the MHRA. Uh, I can't tell you when the MHRA will make a decision on that. Uh, Once they do, we can start uh, with AstraZeneca as well. So, uh, you know, it is not as clear cut that we have a precise date that we get uh, approvals. Uh, We know precisely. No, but uh, even if whether the date is the 17th of January or the 17th of April, it doesn't matter. Have you at the point where you've got the vaccine in your hands, got a rollout procedure, knowing who, how many, how many people is going to get vaccined on any in any given place on any given day? I I don't understand why we wouldn't have had that sort of level of micromanagement and that sort of level of preparation. That's if I were in government, that's what I'd have done. Well, absolutely. So you have and, done that uh, or not? Well, I mean, it's very simple. Have you or have Julia, you not got precisely. precise plans on how to roll out this vaccine to every single person in this country? Yes, Julia, we have plans uh, to roll out this vaccine. There are 50 hospitals uh, which are already okay. ready across the country to to get this thing deployed. Uh, we are, uh, of course, working with GPs to make sure this happens in GP okay. pod. Uh, we've also made sure that uh, once we get into, and this will only happen next year, uh, where we get into uh, a, a big rollout phase, uh, then, of course, there'll be vaccination centres across the country. Okay. All of that discussion has taken place. Right. But the point here still is 
we need to get the vaccine to be able to deploy. We, we understand that. We understand that. Now, OK, once the vaccine is rolled out to a certain number of people, whether you know, over 80s, over 70s, over 60, whoever it is, at what point do we then go back to not the new normal, the old normal? What point do we get to walk around without wearing these stupid masks on our faces? We can go in the tube and go in the supermarket, do whatever, and we don't have to be self-isolating. At what point, how many people have to be vaccinated in which groups before we can go back to our normal lives and get our freedom back? Well, it's certainly the case that the more people get vaccinated, uh, the quicker we will be able to assume normality. Uh, but it is also the case that uh, we will continue to have to look and see what infection rates are, uh, what the spread is across the country, what uh, uh, hospital capacity is, just as we are doing that now when we are making decisions about which tiers uh, particular parts of the country are in. But uh, look, I, I think there is uh, room for, for optimism. Uh, we've got this, uh, this vaccine. Hopefully uh, there will be other vaccine candidates coming online as well. And we've got the rapid testing, which we know has made a difference as well. Okay, but but we, what we want to know is, vaccines all very well, testing's all very well. At what point can we have our freedoms back? Because a lot of people are very worried, and I'm among those people that we're never going to get these back. And at some point, there's there's always going to be someone. We know we've got an endemic virus; it's never going to go away. People are going to still be dying of this this virus, even after everybody's been vaccinated. Are we going to get our freedom back after everyone over 70 has been vaccinated? Are we going to get our freedom back after everyone over 60 is vaccinated? When do we get our freedom back? Well, Julia, what, what we have seen is, I mean, if you, if, you, if you think back to when we went into uh, that first lockdown, a large part of the economy were, were shut down. That is not the case now. Uh, uh, if you look at uh, the tiering system that we have, uh, you know, large parts of the economy are open. Yes, of course, there are restrictions that are in place. Uh, uh, on people's lives. I, I accept that. But it is ultimately about making sure that we're keeping people safe and we are keeping uh, the, the vulnerable safe. I mean, you yourself have just said that actually we need to make sure that we deploy this vaccine uh, to support those who are most vulnerable. Uh, that is absolutely right. And that is the basis on which but, we're going but to But the rest decisions. of us aren't the most vulnerable, are we? You, look, you brought up tears. Julia, I, I do not take uh, any pleasure from the fact as business secretary that we are basically requiring restrictions on business. I do not take any pleasure uh, as someone who believives that people should have their freedoms uh, uh, that, okay. uh, you know, from the restrictions okay. that we are... Can, let's see, that can I just ask, half of, half of tier three areas right now are now below the infection rate that, that the highest tier two areas were on the date that when you decided which areas went into which tiers. Warwickshire, Derbyshire, for instance, now got lower levels of infection than London, which is in tier two, yet they remain in tier three. Four of the tier two areas are now below tier one areas like, um, uh, like Cornwall. Uh, it's not until the 16th of December, uh, 12 long days away. 12 long days of a crucial part of the trading calendar for hospitality businesses uh, are not uh, uh, before we actually get that review. Is there not a very strong case that those those uh, parts of the country which have fallen back into lower tier levels of infection, they should be moved out of their tiers straight away? Well, Julia, we have a process and uh, I think it's right and proper that we follow that process. Even if... so you're... Well, no, but why? Look, 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 you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right that... Uh, we will be reviewing all of this uh, on the 16th. Uh, and so let, let me give you uh, uh, an, an example. You may have uh, uh, an area which it has uh, lower rates of infection, but if it's in an urban area and it is surrounded by other local authorities which have uh, significantly higher rates of infection, the reality is that people will travel uh, across those, uh, those seamless borders, if I can put it like that. They'll go for, for work, they will go for leisure. Uh, and of course, so when we look at this, 
we have to take all of that into account. And that's why it's right and proper that we allow the time, we stick with uh, uh, the processes that we have, and we will do this review meticulously, I promise you, we will do this review meticulously on the 16th of okay. December. Just finally, I know it's, it's uh, times against us, but the, your colleague Grant Shapps, the Transport Secretary, has announced that from Saturday morning, high-value business travellers will no longer have to self-isolate if they come from a country not in the travel corridor. Can you point me to the medical evidence that rich people can't transmit the virus, but poor people can? Yeah, so uh, I think it's important that we, we clarify what this policy actually is. So, um, you know, on a daily basis, uh, I talk to businesses, I hear from them that uh, uh, as a result of the quarantine restrictions, uh, people who want to make investments in our country, bring money into our country, uh, are uh, are not able to uh, do so. Um, well, they're either a risk or they're not. So, but, 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 well, hang on, let, let, let me explain what the policy is. Uh, but, but certainly from a health point of view, of course, we discuss this policy. This is a policy that was developed in my, my department. We discuss this uh, with uh, uh, Public Health England, with the NHS, uh, and they have concluded that because of the numbers of people involved, this is not going to have uh, a uh, an impact in terms of health risks uh, in the UK. Uh, but what this policy does is make sure that uh, you can only make use of these exemptions if you are going to uh, either create 50 or more jobs in the UK or bring in uh, orders or investment of okay. £100 million pounds or more, uh, or, or protect 50 or more jobs. I mean, right now, Julia, you and I have had this discussion so many times about the fact that we need to do more to get the economy going. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Online. On DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Uh, uh, let's talk about the vaccine with my next guest, former Health Secretary, Lord Andrew Lansley. Good morning to you, Lord Lansley. 
Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Thank How you very, you? very well indeed. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, the vaccine has arrived in the country, the Pfizer-BioNTech yeah. uh, vaccine, but there are already some question marks over who's going to get it first and how it's going to be rolled out and how many we're actually going to get this year as opposed to how many we thought we might be getting. Is this yet another case of the government sort of promising a bit too much, Boris getting a little bit too positive and, uh, and, uh, and optimistic over the actual facts? Well, I mean, it is very good news that the vaccine has arrived. Uh, I think um, if you and I had been talking about this four or five months ago, uh, we would have said, well, you know, experts say it's almost impossible to get a vaccine in mm. place before the end of the year. So, uh, Well, Chris, Chris vaccine... Whitty was saying only a few months ago he didn't think it would be until next right. year. Yeah, exactly so. So I think it is a tremendous achievement. So all, all credit and indeed... Um, not only to Pfizer BioNTech, which is a uh, fantastic because it's it's uh, it's uh, a new form of vaccine and it's a dramatic uh, achievement on their part. But then Oxford and, uh, University and AstraZeneca is another terrific. I'm here in Cambridge. AstraZeneca are headquartered just uh, a few miles from me. I think uh, credit to them too because actually when we talk about how many doses of vaccine are available in what time scale actually most important from uh, our point of view will be the oxford astrazeneca vaccine uh, now we don't it hasn't been uh, approved by the mhra but it might be in the matter of days from now and if as i understand astrazeneca themselves took a decision very early on months and months ago to manufacture uh, on the basis of taking the risk uh, that the uh, vaccine would be effective and authorised uh, and therefore that, that relatively uh, swiftly, really swiftly, they can provide vaccine. Mm. That would be really important and very helpful. And again, the key thing about the, the Oxford vaccine is it's uh, it's much, much cheaper and it's much, much crucially, it's much, much easier for us to transport. Well, there's, there's lots of stories today about how NHS staff, and originally we were told you know, it's care home uh, residents, it's the most elderly over 80s who are most at risk of dying and they obviously uh, should have the, the vaccine first. And then, of course, with the transportation issues, minus 70 degrees, these batches of 900 175 vials of the vaccine not being able to be moved and, and, and separated. That meant that actually that wasn't going to be the first rollout. It would be NHS uh, staff and resident and, and people in hospital. Um, now we're told the NHS staff are losing priority because these first batch of 800,000 doses, enough for 400,000 people, obviously a month apart, well, three weeks apart, um, that we're actually not getting quite as much as we thought we were getting in the first few weeks. Um, do you think I any of this matters? Well, uh, first thing is, as far as I'm aware, Julia, we have gone back, as it were, to the priority listing that was first published by uh, in, on the 22nd of November. So the original listing was that the first group to be uh, vaccinated would be uh, older adults in care homes and care workers looking after them. The greatest risk lay there. The second group would be those over the age of 80 and health and social care workers. Uh, and and I want to talk about it a bit about beyond that point, but that was the original uh, listing. So I think we've kind of gone back to that because actually the cold chain they they're dealing with the cold chain requirements, uh, and of course the, I think the point is if you can extend the cold chain uh, virtually to the uh, care home or indeed bring uh, care home workers. Uh, and maybe even some of the residents to the vaccine. You've got about, a, as I understand, about a two hour window during which the vaccine can go to room temperature for, uh, for, for the inoculation to take place. So I think that's on the face of it. Actually, from my point of view, I think that's mm -hmm. fair enough. I think health, even health NHS workers will completely understand 
that they that the priority has now to be to protect care home workers and care homes themselves because if you can get the vaccination into that territory um, and you can continue to um, maintain uh, the COVID security around care homes, then you may uh, stop the transmission uh, and effectively uh, reduce, uh, perhaps even eliminate the risk to some of those uh, older residents in care homes. I mean, that's the key thing, isn't it? It's not that they're necessarily any more at risk than anyone else at that age group. It's the fact that they're in a care home scenario. And as we've seen, uh, spreading care homes so easy uh, and also spreading in in hospitals as well. What did you make of what Anthony Fauci had to say? Um, He's the director of the United States uh, National Institute of Allergy and Infection Diseases. He's their senior COVID uh, expert. We've seen him many times standing alongside the uh, the, uh, President Trump. Um, He told Fox News, um, and and again, there's been a lot of international sniping from the EU and from others about us uh, uh, approving that regulatory uh, regime for the vaccine at first. He told Fox News, if you go quickly and you do it superficially, people are not going to want to get vaccinated. We have the gold standard of regulatory approach with the FDA, the the Food and Drug Administration in the United States. The UK did not do it as carefully as as we would. Now, he later backtracked after criticised and pointed out that actually what he meant was if you're not seen to be doing it uh, as slowly and normal as you normally do it, then it would make more people reluctant to get vaccinated. But what do you make of the international sniping at the UK? Are there any queries we should be raising about the the the, the fast regular you know approval for this regulation? But you know, equally uh, on um, Wednesday, uh, I heard Alex Azar, who is the Health and Human Services Secretary in America. Um, saying uh, what a good news it was that the UK regulator had uh, approved, authorised the um, Pfizer vaccine for emergency use. And I think some of this is just simply about the decisions uh, whether or not to authorise emergency use, because in the European Union, the European Medicines Agency, and effectively that would be the governments together in the European Union, decided not to go down the route of emergency use authorisation. They decided to wait Um, I think they're only intending it should be a wait of weeks, not months, for what's known as conditional marketing authorisation. And there are different requirements and different meetings that have to take place in order to approve that. Uh, So, uh, you know, and I I heard Kent Woods on, uh, uh, you had Kent Woods interviewed uh, and were reporting what he had said. Now, I remember Kent, he was the uh, chief executive of MHRA when I was Secretary of State. He's a, uh, and what he says is absolutely true. In Europe, MHRA uh, has been for a very long time, obviously until Brexit, um, has been the leading regulator uh, within the European Medicines Agency family of uh, regulators. Uh, and we have often been uh, the 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 organisation that has done the scientific evaluation often been the one that has led on the most difficult evaluations and authorisations. So, I I wasn't at all surprised that the you know, that the MHRA was able to uh, put this in place. In practice, as I understand it, the rolling review um, had data coming in from the first of October. The European Medicines Agency has had data coming in from the sixth of October. Uh, I, I, in practice, these are only a, uh, a couple of weeks or so apart, and it and it largely comes down to the internal processes of approval rather than the scientific evaluation. I think the MHRA has done the scientific evaluation okay. to no. the same standards as anybody else would expect to. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. 
Let's squeeze in another topic before we get to the news. And this is this prospect of egg Brexit deal. Will we, won't we get one? Big issues over fishing and, of course, uh, who's going to enforce uh, any of the deals we do make. Peter Bone is a Tory MP, long-standing Eurosceptic, and joins us right now. Good morning to you, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Um, first of all, do you think we are going to get a deal or not? And if we don't, whose fault will it be? Well, I, I thought we were going to get a deal. Um, remember, we broke off the negotiations some weeks ago because the EU were being intransigent. Um, and then they came back. So I assumed that they'd come back to to common sense and agree with us. But it seems to me they're now using the old tactic of keeping the negotiations going. And every time we think we've got an agreement, they bring in a new issue. As I understand that's happened last night. The so, EU have denied that they've done that. The UK claiming, sources claiming that they've, they've, they've changed some of their demands. The EU said, oh, no, no, we haven't. Well, if that's the case, why are we still waiting for a deal? Why are we still discussing it? I mean, I think this is being handled in an absurd way. There should have been a fixed deadline. The original fixed deadline by the EU and uh, the UK, for that matter, was the 31st of October. And you go to that date, and if you don't do a deal, then both sides walk away. That concentrates the mind, and that's how you get a deal. If there is no deadline for these talks, we could be discussing this on the... 31st of December. How absurd is that? And how unfair is that to British business? I mean, but the fact that they're still at the table, does that not suggest to you that they, people do want to deal? The question is, everyone's just waiting to see who blinks first, aren't they? Well, it may well be that uh, we're committed to a deal and we've been very clear what we want. And we think we're nearly there. So we carry on talking. And then they introduce just another thing, which takes another few days. And this is a a well-known tactic of the EU. Um, let's face it, it's in everyone's interest to have a free trade deal. It should have been concluded um, months ago, and it's not been concluded because the EU, EU still thinks we're some part of the European well, Union. Well, this is it. It's being treated like a colony, isn't it? But but also the this idea, you know, President Macron is, is, is you know, trying to defend the, the rights he believes, the rights that he thinks somehow are God-given for the French to fish in our waters. Seemingly to completely not understand the, and comprehend the notion of international maritime law and our, our, our waters being ours. And I don't mind us, uh, you know, us handing over fishing rights to them in return for something else. But he seems to think, come from the starting point that the French have a right to be in our waters, which is simply not the case in international law. Um, I'm quite amused, and I'm wondering if you share some of my amusement. A certain Schadenfreude in this, in the Irish, uh, the, the Simon Coveney, the Irish foreign minister, going to Macron at the weekend, sort of saying, "Look, seriously, can you uh, can you please uh, try and get a deal?" They're saying they're going to be caught up in this, and they're going to do very badly if there isn't a Brexit deal, because a massive effect on for them, so much of their goods comes through Britain. Um, Part of me thinks, you know what, if you'd played this differently in Ireland, maybe we would already have a deal. But the Irish were very happy to use the uh, Northern Ireland, you know, peace deal and the border and to and to basically try and play games with the with the peace deal to try and stop Brexit from happening. Uh, and now, frankly, they're going to get their comeuppance, it would seem. <laughs> well, that may be the case, but obviously what, what we want is to yeah. deal that. That, I mean, the deal doesn't help one side or the other. It's, it, it, it's great for both sides, which is, the, I mean, if we're going to have a no-deal Brexit, which I do not fear, we could have had that way back in Mrs May's time when the original deadline was passed. And we'd have, we'd have solved it now and we'd be sailing on. And this continual indecision because of the EU keeping ch chain, moving the goalposts 
seems to be to be unacceptable. And if it's because the French want our fish, well, why haven't we just said this isn't going to happen? Goodbye. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.